stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present. And also recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance, and resilience for First Nations communities. This week, we're bringing you a story about the Bega Valley community, how they deal with loss and the resilience that binds them together. It comes from an episode of Hope, Loss, Resilience, a podcast series produced by local audio maker Craig Garrett as part of the Bega Valley Shire Library's Talking Together History Project. Hi, I'm Craig Garrett, a library officer with the Bega Valley Shire Library. In early 2023, I began interviewing people across the Bega Valley on the far south coast of New South Wales about their experiences during the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic. This was for an oral histories project called Talking Together. I travelled across this rural shire of about 35,000 people or so, driving by forests and rivers, mountains and coast, past family farms and tourist towns. While COVID-19 was a global pandemic and a global story, it's also a local story, and the experiences of the last few years can't be separated from the individual families, histories, lives and places where they occur. There is no one universal story of COVID times. All too often we're told that small places and everyday people don't matter in the big scheme of things, but history is made by everybody every day. And who knows how the impacts of COVID will reverberate in future years. In this series, you'll hear from a range of people across the Bega Valley, from nurses to school students, artists to small business owners, grocery workers to retirees. Stories of grief or ingenuity often told with country humour or warmth or rawness. Each episode explores a different theme. We're starting the series with fire because for almost everyone I spoke to, the 2019-2020 bushfires and the start of the COVID-19 pandemic are almost inseparable. You can't talk about one without the other. Just a heads up, this discusses the bushfires and trauma and touches on themes of domestic violence. In the three years leading into the 2019-2020 Black Summer bushfires, 2017, 2018 and 2019 were among the warmest on record. Rainfall from January 2017 to December 2019 was the lowest on record and conditions in New South Wales were drier and hotter than any other drought in the last 120 years. 2019 and it's going to be a doozy. So when can we go back home? I'm, I'm a diabetic, you know, and I left all, run out and left all my medicines and everything at home. This is the fifth call out in five weeks, and two in the last two days. This fire won't go out. The pandemic has also had lasting implications for the bushfire recovery. Gatherings outside or inside should not be more than two people, unless it's your immediate family. But before we get into it, let's take a breath with Candelo poet Ray Kennedy as she reflects on place and home. The shape of this place. 
This small town home is marked by uphill streets, tumbling love grass paddocks, winds that whip westerly, our aging welcome sign, an ancestral plane tree. The old creek meanders, all bends and guesses, eroding along edges, a thread of the story of who she used to be. From where I sit, north facing, Bamboka Peak stands, gray-blue in silhouette, while black cows graze the slope, bring the flies home to nest. This is big valley sky with no level horizon, a crisscross map of paper roads and mountain drives. The shape of this place is supple and strong. Less edge, more ebb, all crevice and hillside, where life eddies and echoes and light stretches long. My name is Amanda Midlam and I have lived in Eden for 25 years. I was deeply traumatised by the bushfires. I was just, I was just in a state. I was just, you know, is this real? Is this not real? Especially when New Year's Eve, the Mayor Christy McBain said, Eden will not be defended. Your best chance is to leave now. I don't think I've ever been the same since then because you just lose this innocence. You think if shit happens, there'll be fire brigades and police and, you know, there'll be rescue. You might not be rescued, but there'll be an attempt. But to know, no, no, just being abandoned. I don't think you really get back to feeling, you know, feeling the way you did before that. I'm Julie. I'm a AASW accredited mental health social worker and a counsellor. Professionally, I'd been working during the bushfires in the evacuation centres, supporting there and then afterwards providing counselling to people who were experiencing distress. I'd been like everyone else, running on a bit of adrenaline and cortisol getting through that period. So just prior to COVID hitting, I was trying to, I guess, ground myself again and recover. I think the whole community is traumatised. A lot of people aged a lot. I think more dementia, more health problems. You know, like I remember going to the newsagent buying a newspaper. This was during the bushfires and neither the newsagent nor I could really figure out what changed from $5 or $10 or something. Like everyone's cognitive abilities had just gone. I'm now scared of summers. I used to love summer. You know, winter was something that you, yeah, all right, light the wood fire, that's nice. Have a warm bowl of soup, that's nice. Okay, can summer come back now, please? And now it's, I dread summers the dread summers after the bushfires. So that's a big shift, yeah. When COVID hit, that's the state that everybody was in. So my name's Lisa Herbert and I've been coming to this actual property where we're sitting right now since I was a young girl, about 12. Pre-COVID, I had been working as a journalist covering the fires, so I was feeling it very 
deeply <laughs> and that affected me in, in in many ways. So when March came around and the COVID thing, I was still dealing with a response to the bushfires. I'm Jane. I'm the manager at the Bega Women's Resource Centre. The end of 2019 was, it was really awful and I think for people who maybe weren't local during that time as well people tend to forget the drought which immediately preceded the fires which was absolutely devastating our community was already really struggling with that with the you know the impacts of economic loss the impacts of people having to destock so that was an you know a heartbreaking time and then the fires were obviously absolutely devastating I think something like the first week of March, the end of the first week of March was when the fires were officially declared extinguished here for the Bega Valley. And I think it was something like two weeks later that that first nationwide harsh lockdown came into place. So a lot of people were still, well, a lot of people are still not in homes, but a lot of people were still in evacuation mode, nowhere to go. There were places that still didn't have electricity, places that didn't have communications incredibly difficult times for a lot of people and then to have this lockdown which precluded accessing supports or or even being able to connect with other members of your community at a time when that was so crucial to just being able to kind of get up out of bed every day it was really quite damaging to a lot of folk in our community I think. I work with a lot of farmers they were having to sell off their stock and just try and hold on to their best breeders. And then we had the bushfires that killed their breeders. So they, they had nothing left. It was extremely difficult. And then we went straight into the floods. The ash would all run into the dams, which those that were fortunate enough to have stock left were getting this toxic water from all the ash and everything and and then they went into a pandemic and some of the farmers that I saw because you know they're they're usually you know on remote sort of properties in the in our area and they're not in so much in town and a lot of them you know were also volunteers in our rural fire service as well and been doing that for years and so they were also trying to help each other and our firefighters were just doing an extraordinary job and they were leaving their family behind and their properties to go and help us. And you just saw so much goodness in the communities, didn't you? It was just so many people going beyond what's called for and risking everything for the greater good of the whole community. In the next section, we explore some of the community's experiences of the fires during the months immediately before the arrival of COVID-19. This is critical to getting a picture of what life was like in the Bega Valley just as the pandemic hit. My name is Anita. I'm actually living in Toowoomba, the valley. We've got our little farmlet up on the hill and we're trying to bring it into self-sufficiency, sustainability. I'm also the local bus driver for school. So after the fires, because they came down from the border, came through and came into that back end of Eden and through all that forest. So the damage by fire, it just ripped right through that area and the lower snake track. 
I mean, there were cindering trees. As you drove back out after the, say, a week after, you just had cinders, no growth at all. It was just grey. You had that feeling of complete loss, like, wow, the, the wildlife and the lyrebirds and it's not there anymore. We've lost it. You know, you really, it was very heavy days, heavy-hearted. You sort of looked at what had happened amongst also the loss of personal possessions, people in the area. My name is Gabrielle Rose and I'm the co-artistic director of Fling Physical Theatre, which is an amazing youth dance company based in the Bega Valley. When 2020, we're at sort of cusp into 2019, 2020, we've had a really huge project happening with Form Dance Projects, which is a company based in Western Sydney. And we made this piece called Encounter, which was a large collaboration with dancers from Western Sydney, dancers from the Fling Company and the Sydney Youth Orchestra. So this project was in the works. It had been performed at the Four Winds Youth Festival and then the bushfires hit. We were stuck. I had gone, I couldn't cope. I was, yeah, I'd already been in one in Tathra. I was really struggling, but Rob McCready, who's the other co-artistic director with Fling, incredibly got our dancers out of the Beaker Valley. It was like crunch time. Like it was that point where like we had to leave or you had to stay. And so he was contacting all the families and the families decided that they still wanted their children to perform because we were actually performing in the Sydney festival. We pushed ahead and Rob, excuse me, goosebumps, but essentially he got all the kids out and drove up with their families. They, there were tears and hugs when they arrived because the kids in Parramatta knew what was going on, but they didn't quite understand maybe the depth of what was happening. And a lot of the parents who went on that journey with them were under a lot of stress. A lot of them had homes here that were under threat. So it was a very trying time, but my God, that show was incredible. And so they performed in the Sydney Festival, but we couldn't celebrate it. It was the, really the wrong timing to share that story here. Off the back of that, COVID arrived. And it was like, what is the next thing? It just felt like one thing after another. It's kind of interesting to think about it now that I feel a lot better, but at the time I... I developed anxiety, so I was dealing with that. Uh, started in November, actually, for me, the bushfires. And then December, I was, uh, I think about December the 8th, I was up at Batemans Bay covering Karawan fires. We were covered in smoke the whole time, so it was very it's very tangible and it was on us all the time. So it was all that everyone talked about, of course. I was up and down the coast a lot and writing about stories and taking a lot of photographs of things and publishing them on my social media. They were being published on About Regional, which was all very well and good. And then I went up to visit a colleague and stay with her in Maruya uh, the day before New Year's Eve. So I was in Maruya when, when it all went shit. There was no power in Maruya. There were people living in their cars all around us. Um, so yeah, when I say no power, no fuel, no phones, no traffic lights, of course there was no, no sun. It was really dark. And, uh, that was an intense period. That was the time when the power came on, I could get fuel and I could leave Maruya. I was driving with, that was the day that the mayor called for everyone to leave the Shire. So I was in that traffic and I came home to 
a big property, which is where I am now, but there was no one here. Everyone had left. So I came home and sat here in the smoke. We were safe here, but I sat in the smoke in a pit of despair. The end of 2019 was was a very frightening time. Our place wasn't impacted, thankfully, but we were evacuated a number of times, as were many of the residents of the Bega Valley and all up and down the coast, obviously. The Women's Resource Centre, we have a number of different things here that women can access, among which are a shower, bathroom facilities and a washing machine. So those very practical supports became useful for women in need. A lot of women also accessing the evacuation centres didn't feel safe in those public bathing facilities. So we did have a lot of women using the space for that. We then had women who needed things, clothing, bedding, all those physical things that they had lost during the fires or where they couldn't even go back to their properties because those areas still weren't safe, so they still needed things, you know, you need stuff. So there were lots of necessities that we were able to provide for people during that time. As we moved into COVID, it became even more challenging. So we were considered an essential service, so we were allowed to remain open. Because we provide, we have emergency food relief here, because we provide that, that classed us as an essential service. But what I found most was that women were needing the space for support. So we saw a huge increase in um, uh people coming for DV assistance after the fires. When communities are in crisis, we do see the impacts of DV go up simply because out-of-control people who need to feel some sense of control if they're abusive in their relationships, that's when we'll see an increase in those types of behaviours. That was already trending upwards in our community and then, of course, with the COVID lockdowns, that exacerbated that experience for a number of women and children. I think in terms of the services that we needed because of the fires, a lot of money went to organisations outside of the Bega Valley and they brought a number of clinicians and support teams and all sorts of stuff in from other areas. As soon as COVID came, they left. And I'm aware that a number of services then provided a range of online assistance But again, you may recall that some of our people didn't still have electricity or communications. Those were, you know, taken out with the fires. So whilst I'm sure there was every intention of doing that work and providing that support, the situation at the time meant that people couldn't access it and people were still in the midst of that trauma, in the midst of everything was burnt. Like, yeah, like everywhere you looked, it was burnt. That's all you could see. Like, yeah, it was a horrible time. And, um, yeah, for a lot of people, the support that they needed just simply wasn't available. And that wasn't, that wasn't just because of COVID. It was a complication of COVID. But I think had those investments been made in local services, there would have been a much greater opportunity to provide the support that was needed because as soon as local services open could open up, they did. But a lot of those external providers continued to provide a remote service which wasn't suitable for our community. Trauma can accumulate. So 
if you think of like a dam or a wall of resilience that we've built up from childhood that protects us from when we have these distressing events throughout life. We manage, we get through, we've got our coping strategies. And then if you imagine a hammer coming down and crushing your wall of the resilience, if you think of it as a brick wall and it's all crumbled to the ground, so the bushfires may have done that for some people. So all those previous other traumas that you've been through in life and the bushfires trauma has all come hurtling onto you for your brain to try and like, what what is going on? How am I going to manage all this? And, and then there's the pandemic on top of that. So people were raw and exposed and the brain just responds. It's to keep us as a human being, to keep us alive. So if they sense there's a threat or there's danger, it will go into either the flight, fight or freeze response. And then trying to build that wall of resilience up again when we couldn't connect and feel safe was like trying to get dry sand and make a wall. It just doesn't work. As COVID-19 hit, many in the Bega Valley were still reeling with the aftermath of the recent disasters. Here... Locals talk about how this affected their bodies, relationships, and their sense of security or safety. For me personally, I was still struggling with a lot of anxiety post-bushfires. I think the bushfires really messed my entire nervous system around. And so when COVID arrived, I was in this subtle state of panic all the time. Like when the Tathra bushfires happened, I was really affected by that. But then I had to make decisions about what we were doing next because it was like this one small locality where I was hugely impacted, but we still had things operating in like Pamula and Marimbula and we had parents going, well, why aren't classes on? You know, And it was like, oh gosh, okay, right. That's right. Everyone's different here. Bermagui is still normal, but Tathra is not. So it was like this strange phenomena of trying to deal with people's differences. I got better, but I developed this anxiety and I I had to fix things and save things and write about things and investigate things. And my uh, boss has said to me, just cool it. But I felt this drive inside me to do, try and do something, which is, and then feeling anxious because I couldn't do anything. Well, what can you do? So when COVID hit, I, um, was about to seek out some counselling for this anxiety because I'd never had that before. So I feel like I'm at this new strange place, but I'm I'm going to survive and I'm going to make change or something and push through. And I think the bushfires started this sense and I remember the despair during the fires at this endless red days. I would wake up and it was just red sky or black sky and smoke and this sense of what are we doing? What is happening? What are we doing to this place? Then to go into COVID, it's like, well, you know, it could happen. You know, it's. I feel very much like I'm living in a, on a planet that is very you know, things could collapse. So what's the, I'm searching for a word. And of course, of course, since COVID and the fires, I find it difficult to, I have some memory gaps, like words and some short-term memory gaps. But I think I'm looking for fragility. So I, 
you know, I have that sense that everything's very fragile. People that were coming to me were so often experiencing anxiety, what they thought was anxiety, and a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. What else is going to happen next? So there's that type of hypervigilance with the pandemic. It's almost like our brains were rewired. When we had to isolate and be on our own, our brains sort of adjusted to that. Then it was hard to get back out of the door. Very hard. And, and I've got people still that it's, it's a struggle to get out the front door, even to get their bread and milk a day. The pandemic isolated people from their loved ones. Families were separated if they became ill and things like that. And also separated communities. So instead of us being able to meet as a community and basically debrief over what had happened and connect and compare stories and reassure each other, the pandemic robbed us of that. That meant that the brain was really struggling. Our brains were struggling to feel safe. And our immune systems were lowered because of all this cortisol that's not meant to be going through our body all the time. We're not designed for that ongoing stress hormone all the time. So we went into a pandemic with our immunity probably compromised already. It's now three years after, roughly that's a guess. But the regrowth, the trees have had shoots and they've taken off and we've had all that new regrowth of trees that shrubs that come in after fires so from the burning and the dropping of the seeds and now we've got a lot of tea tree and wattle tree and amassed beneath the canopies and the canopies that have survived they're doing all right it's an amazing thing to see actually happen you lose hope and then there's like rebirthing it's amazing it is it that's a good positive view of what we've lost and now what what we're gaining you've been listening to fire the first episode in hope loss resilience a beaker valley shire library production you can find us wherever you find your podcasts a huge thanks to all those people's stories you heard amanda midlam Julie Irwin, Lisa Herbert, Jane Hughes, Anita Coakley, Gabrielle Rhodes. All these interviews are part of the Beaker Valley Shire Library's Oral Histories Project, Talking Together. You can hear or read the full interviews and transcripts and more in the Beaker Valley Shire Library's catalogue. Go to library.beakervalley.newsouthwales.gov.au Or, if you're in the Beaker Valley, just pop into a library and ask the librarian. If this episode has brought up anything for you, you can reach Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in the Beaker Valley and would like to connect with mental health services, you can call free 1800 011 511, 24 hours, 7 days. The music you heard was Rocks and Snow by David Ross MacDonald, and you can find his work at davidrossmcdonald.bandcamp.com. The opening poem was The Shape of This Place by Ray Kennedy, and the music 3QX by Baron Grant. The original bushfire and COVID broadcast audio was from the Southeast Breakfast Program and was supplied by ABC, your emergency broadcaster, with additional archive audio from ABC News 24. We'd also like to thank the Candelo Roadshow Radio Hour, Community Radio 93.7 Edge FM, Headspace Bega, and Southern New South Wales Local Health. 
And additional thanks to our wonderful, brilliant transcribers, Joe Osler, Alexander Masika, Trish Dive, Janet Reynolds. Project lead and management thanks to Linda Albertson, Sakita Val, Rachel Higginbotham, and Sarah Morrison. Extra organisational help for all those bibs and bobs that just pop up every now and again, Anita Coakley, Carly McDonald, and Emma Woolley and Vanessa Barrett. Web design, Natalie Martin-Remmett. Script editing and podcast production, Shona Hawks. Principal production, including audio and sound design, by Craig Garrett. That story was produced by Craig Garrett. Craig is an international audio producer, award-winning community radio journalist, writer and editor. The Talking Together project was funded under the joint Australian and New South Wales Government Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements in 2018. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay respect to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and ACCC on Arunde and Boromungo lands. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.